Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on Gregory Zuckerman, uh, who wrote The Man Who Solved the Market, How Jim Simons Launched the Quant Revolution. And just to give you a little background on Gregory, um, he's also the author of uh, The Greatest Trade Ever and The Frackers and is a special writer at The Wall Street Journal. Uh, at The Journal, Zuckerman writes about financial firms, personalities, and trades, as well as hedge funds and other investing and business topics. He's a three-time winner of the Gerald Loeb Award, the highest honor in business journalism. And Zuckerman appears regularly on CNBC, Fox Business, and other networks and radio stations, and gives speeches around the globe. And now he's also on podcasts. And uh, Gregory, welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Oh, great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So I, you know, I loved reading your book. I actually read it uh, both hard copy and on Audible. Um, fascinating read. Um, so yeah, glad to have you on. So could you, could you just tell us, uh, your listeners, uh, our, the listeners a little bit about, um, you know, what, what gave you the idea for the book? Just a little background on how that all started. Sure. So, uh, I've been at the Wall Street Journal since 1996 and a lot of what I do is write about investors, both successful and, uh, failing investors. But I generally write a homeless strikeouts, people doing big things and, uh, in outperforming the market, and there's really no more successful moneymaker in the history of modern finance than this guy Jim Simons, the protagonist in my book. So I first and foremost wanted to figure out how he did it, but he's also, beyond just being the, the most successful investor of our times, he's uh, a pioneer. He did um, things like um, algorithms, predictive algorithms, developed them decades ago before, you know, Facebook and Netflix and Amazon. Um, he was doing what they didn't, they didn't call it back then big data, but it was big data, um, amassing data, cleaning it, making sure it's accurate, developing mathematical models, all the kind of stuff that we all do today. We take for granted that kind of runs business and Wall Street today. Uh, Jim Simons and his colleagues were doing decades ago. Um, and I also was really fascinated by the theme of really wealthy uh, individuals, billionaires and such, having this outsized impact on society. And Simons very much does, his colleague Robert Mercer does, in terms of the world of politics and philanthropy and other areas of society. So these are individuals that are sort of emblematic of that theme. Interesting. And, and did, did it take quite a bit to write this book? Because Jim Simons... Uh, tends to be pretty secretive about, you know, what, what he's done over the years. Isn't that correct? Yeah, this was the hardest project I ever did. I um, spent a couple of years on it, but it was really difficult to, two years, getting people to talk, getting people to open up, getting people to uh, just sort of acknowledge uh, and, and share, share information, um, confirm things, tell me stories. So, you know, eventually I got there, but uh, it was a difficult process along the way. So, so how do you even start something like that? You know, you get do you, you get the idea? You say, okay, I want to, I want to write about Jim Simons. I want to kind of figure out who he is. Is that kind of how it starts? And then you you figure out, okay, now, now let me see how I can get information. How does what's what's the process to 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 write a book like that? Well, it first starts with asking Jim Simons if he'll talk, and then after you get rejected and 
told there's no way he's going to work with you, then you start start from the beginning. I, I, that's what I do anyway. Start from going back years ago, tracking down individuals that he worked with um, a long time ago, and trying to get them to open up. And then you start, you know, back in the '60s, also go even earlier to people that he grew up with, people he went to school with, and you build around him. If you can't get to the protagonist, then you build around them, and then you slowly help to get to the uh, to the protagonist. So that's kind of what happened eventually. Interesting. Simons got more comfortable with the process. Um, I wore him down a little bit. He didn't open up the kimono and tell me everything, but uh, he agreed to, to uh, sit down with me. We spent about 10 hours or so together, and uh, I'm appreciative of that. And what, what would you say is some of the most interesting things you learned along the way while working on writing this book? Well, I learned about mathematics. I think the reader gets a sense for this that world of mathematics. I mean, Jim Simons, besides being this world-class investor, he's one of the most acclaimed mathematicians, uh, clearly, um, as, far, as far as being a geometer, uh, over the past, I don't know, 50, 100 years. So there's that world. But you also learn about this world of quantitative finance, which is sort of dominant today. Everybody is a quant. And uh, even the more traditional investors try to hire someone as a quant. Everybody's got a PhD. Everybody's trying to be more quanty. So I kind of um, got a real sense for how the process is done, how these people develop their models, develop their signals, as they call them, um, the challenges thereof, the drama. So I, I learned personally, I learned a lot about that whole world, the, the, the quant world, which dominates us today. Interesting. And what do you what do you think makes um, you know? Obviously, he has such a great track record, and and there's so many other quant funds out there, especially now today, as you said. Why do you think he's done? You know, why do you think he's done the best compared to all these you know thousands of other funds out there who are also you know have smart people and doing mathematical models? What what are they doing different? Um, a few different things, or a bunch of different things, I would argue. Um, I would my my contention is that they don't they, what they do is they produce steady returns that can be leveraged up and that's what they kind of do they use a healthy dose of of leverage borrowed money which can be dangerous but they've done fine with it um, they they hire differently than other people so most businesses most quants but also just businesses in society when they hire they hire for need you need. A programmer, you need I don't know something for your business. You, you hire people for need, but that's not how it works at, at Renaissance. At Renaissance, they just hire talent and they um, try to look for people who've accomplished things in the world of academia, scientists, mathematicians, and such people who are well known in that world. And they kind of say, "All right, go go try to improve our system. Here's the code. Everyone can see the code." And they do that differently as well. They work together much more collegially than any other firm I've, I've experienced. So anybody at the firm can see the code. Anybody can um, improve on it. If you get frustrated, then you step aside and someone else can work on what you've done. Uh, so they, they work together much differently than, than, than other firms, um, which is an advantage too. And yeah, they hire just for talent and people get there and they look for ways to improve. And it's almost like a, um, a big, huge academic department where you make you, you literally make presentations in front of 70 80 other people and everybody picks apart everybody else's work but they do it in a more collegial way so 
I think it's, it's as much a management book, book as it is an investing book, uh, the, the book I've written. So it, to me, it, it feels like um, you can learn. I, I learned both other kind of uh, aspects, not just about trading and investing, but also how to manage really quirky, interesting, uh, colorful people. And tell us about some of these quirky, colorful people that you write about in the book that you think are interesting. Well, it's not just Simons, but Simons is the key man. I mean, he um, is unique in that he um, is a mathematician, as I said, but he's also very outgoing. I mean, the joke about mathematicians is uh, an outgoing mathematician is one who stares at your shoes while uh, (laughs) he or she speaks as opposed to his or her own shoes. That's not like Simons is like. Simons is not... uh, He's unusual. He is outgoing. He um, is funny, mischievous, drinks, smokes like a chimney. So he's, he's very unique in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and he, as much as an academic, he's an academic, he also always wanted to get rich. That was kind of one of his passions is, is money. So very unique in that regard. But he's also very good at um, hiring. He knows what motivates people. He can woo you. He's a very persuasive individual. So he's just a really unique, remarkable guy. And, and he's doing interesting things today with all his money. He's worth $23 billion. And he um, is at the forefront of funding basic science. They're trying to come up with um, treatments, if not um, um, basically treatments for, for autism and other kinds of ailments. Um, I'm not sure there'll be cures necessarily, but uh, he's doing really fascinating stuff. And Mercer, the individual I mentioned earlier. Yeah, tell um, tell us about right- him a little bit more. Sure, he's a more right leaning uh, individual. He um, he uh, got behind Breitbart. He owned Breitbart. Got behind Brexit, and he, I would argue, is probably the most important reason why um, Donald Trump is in office. Because when Donald Trump was struggling in the polls in summer of nineteen ninety six, I'm sorry, two thousand sixteen. Um, when right after the Billy Bush video came out, and that's when Mercer and his daughter went to Trump. They were big supporters, and they said, hey, you've got to put these two individuals at the helm of your campaign. And those two individuals were Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon, and you can love them or hate them, but they really, they should get credit for stabilizing that campaign. So in turn, Bob Mercer uh, gets credit or blame, whatever perspective you've got, mm-hmm. uh, for Donald Trump's success. So Mercer's a, a computer programmer. He came from IBM. And what's common among all these individuals is none of them uh, is very interested in business or stocks or the markets. And right. yet they're the ones who've got this crazy, the best return uh, in history. So it's a real irony. It's a real paradox that it should not have been these individuals uh, who kind of solved the market, as I, as I talk about in the book. It should have been people who actually care about business, care about trading and investing. Uh, that's one of the huge ironies here. So I, I, I find that kind of fascinating, too. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, so I go to the Daily Journal meetings, uh, Charlie Munger's company every year. And, you know, one of the, one of the mm-hmm. things he talks about is this idea of being able to take different principles from uh, different um, fields and then synthesize them into seemingly unrelated fields and, and apply them. And, you know, when I was reading the book, kind of going along this theme, it almost seemed like the fact that this wasn't their background was an advantage because there was no psychological anchoring. They, they, they kind of start from scratch. Would you say there was something you know kind of to that? I think so. I think that's a really good point. 
um, they came at this fresh, and they decided not to embrace the traditional approaches to investing, which are either sort of the Soros um, approach of ex- predicting where markets are going to go, the George Soros, you know, famous hedge fund who predicted with the, 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 the collapse of uh, the British pound. And, you know, you sit back and you try to figure out where interest rates are going and currencies and such. And, you know, the, the, Warren Buffett has something similar, trying to predict sure. where stocks are going and talk to management and you look at financial reports and such. Um, and then there was another approach of just sort of random walk. Hey, we can't predict the next piece of news, so we can't predict stocks. That was another view that many people had. And what Simons and his mathematicians and scientists said is, you know what? We're not going to get involved with either of those two approaches. We're going to say, we're going to assume that there is some pattern there. There's some structure below the surface in the market, and we're going to figure it out whether you know people think it's smart or not smart. So, yeah, I agree. There's something to be said for coming at things uh, uh, as an outsider. A lot of my books I've written are by are about successful outsiders. People saw things coming that the experts got wrong. I wrote a book called The Greatest Trade Ever, and it's about a guy named John Paulson who made twenty billion dollars uh, along with his colleagues over two years anticipating the financial meltdown, but he wasn't any kind of mortgage expert or, or finance expert or derivatives expert. He was a guy who specialized in more in mergers, a merger right. arbitrageur, nothing to do with mortgages, and yet he made $20 billion betting against toxic mortgages. So that's to your point, where I do think there's something to be said for coming at things as an outsider sometimes helps. Now, what what is... You know, as 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 you as a person, what what has you fascinated by these outsider type individuals that you you feel compelled to write about them? Because I mean, obviously, this was not an easy project. So there's something that pulls you to do this. Um, I like people who do big things, who um, prove the world wrong, who show the experts they, they they're mistaken, um, who who change the world in some ways. So um, what Simon and his colleagues did. Uh, has, again, they're pioneers. Everybody's trying to do what they've done in terms of creating this quantitative approach. Um, so I, I like to figure out how these people do it, but I'm also attracted to colorful, uh, um, quirky kind of characters. So, again, these are all just sort of a little bit um, odd, sometimes unusual um, characters. And a person like me, I, I, I need that. I need, uh, I, I really need those those kind of characters. That they, you, you read the book. My, my approach to writing is sort of a, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Sort of Mary Poppins, meaning that I'm going to get at some really important themes. You know how the 2008, how the market melted down. I wrote a book subsequently about this renaissance, renaissance and oil drilling and natural gas drilling and production in this country. We went from a nation that was desperate to find oil and gas to one where we're, we're, we're sending it all over the world. We're exporting it. So even to the Saudis. So it's a crazy thing. And, um, and now the theme is uh, quantitative finance, algorithms, predictive algorithms, big data. But I get at these themes. My strategy it doesn't work for everybody. But for me, I like to write about them through the people because then you – not necessarily root for them, but you're intrigued by them. I don't think my characters are necessarily those that you want to either root for or root against. Some people like them, some people don't. I like. I, I personally like the fact that people aren't really sure if they like these characters or not. But um, 
yeah, I, I think through the people. That's what I do. I try to get it through the people, and um, and, and that that's my approach. Uh, so I need characters. I need quirky, uh, uh, odd, unusual types of people. I, lo- I love that. Um, is this is that how you got into journalism in, in the first place? Was it was it a need to to learn about these kinds of people? Like what what was your original inspiration to even get into this field? Oh, I love finance. I love business. I like investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the risk aspects. I like how businesses are created. I like to, I'm a sports guy. So sports, I love to, to root for and I'm passionate about it, but I wouldn't yep. want to write about it. It's not real life importance, but in some ways business has some of that element where people are making decisions. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. There's dr- a lot of drama there. Right. So that has always attracted me. Um, it's sort of sports, but with kind of real life impact, a b- bigger impact. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like how, how people make money. I, I've covered politics a little bit. I used to be more into politics early in my life, and over the years, I've become just more cynical about the political process, the people involved. And every time I write about politics, I come around where I'm just feeling dirty, and I've been lied to, uh, and I don't get lied to. Partly it's because I'm at the Wall Street Journal, and if you're in business, you don't really want to lie to the Wall Street Journal. But just I think the nature of people in the business world, that trust is a little more important, and, and um, their reputation maybe. And I don't know, I just feel like... Um, I enjoy the business world more than the, the world of politics. So, yeah, that's always attracted me. I, I feel you on that completely. Uh, there, there is yeah. one part of the book that you just reminded me of where um, he he's talking to Chuck Schumer. And, uh, yeah. Uh, t- can, you, can you just share that story real quick? Sure. Jim Simon starts getting involved in broader society and has this idea of getting um, top um, math and science teachers uh, better awarded. Um, so he goes out to D.C. and he meets with Chuck Schumer, who's his representative, and has a really great meeting with him. And he feels great. Jim Simons does afterwards. He believes Schumer's on board. Um, um, and hey, they've, they've come to an agreement and he's going to help fund his ep- Simons, the effort Simons read, is, is, is leading to help the teachers. And he's sitting in the lobby right outside Schumer's office after that meeting, feeling great about himself. But then he listens in on the next group that goes in there. And Schumer is just as enthusiastic and upbeat and excited about what this group, this new group has to say. And it sounds pretty similar to the language that he just heard from Schumer. And the way he looks at it, the way Simon looks at it is, yeah, he gets it. He's not getting help from Schumer. These guys are just um, blowing smoke. Uh, so yeah, there's something just after that about our nation's politicians. Yeah. Now I would imagine there's probably stories and things you experienced while writing the book that you may just not have had either room for, or they just were a little out of place. Um, what's, what's something that, you know, you experienced while writing the book that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, didn't make it in the book, but still interesting. People always ask me that. I, I leave everything on the field. I yeah. mean, there's always going to be stuff that you take out, but sure. nothing too interesting. Okay. I mean, uh, and nothing that I could share. There's things sure. I could I, I could tell you, but I I can't sh- yeah, share I that personal that. stuff. But yeah, you know, I I I, I don't hold too much back from my, my readers. I feel uh, an obligation to give them all the good stuff. Interesting. And you know, before we go, can you just share a little bit about what uh, Jim Simons is uh, is is doing now and you know some of the charity work and you know so, some of the few things that you touch upon it you know in the epilogue sure so yeah he is uh, among the most important philanthropists of our time he does 
support and subsidize the teachers in, in New York State, the top math and science teachers, give them about $10,000 each uh, so that they don't leave and go to private industry, that kind of thing. Um, he's funded, Simon has funded this $80 million observatory in Chile where they're trying to figure out the origins of the universe, how time began, um, whether the Big Bang is accurate, all kinds of interesting things. He is, uh, again, behind autism research. Uh, he's a funder of democratic causes, um, congressional and otherwise. I don't think he's come out in favor of any presidential candidates this year uh, until now, um, but I assume he would support uh, Biden and his colleague uh, Bob Mercer will be supporting Donald Trump. So uh, it'll make some more interesting drama behind the scenes yeah, uh, at sure. the firm. And yeah, people can read all about that in the book. Is, is there anything at least that you can talk about right now that, that you're currently working on? Oh, I'm trying to understand this market and how bad it gets and where uh, and what the repercussions are going to be for, for us all. Are we going to a recession? Is it going to be worse than that? Um, where the problems are in terms of the firms that are uh, having real deep issues and the implications of those, just trying to understand where this is all going, how it's going to uh, impact us all. And that's unfortunately going to be the case that uh, yeah. we're all going to suffer to some extent. So uh, I'm busy on that and, you know, thinking about the next book. So if people have uh, good ideas, things I should be writing about, um, um, I'd love to hear them, but they should, people should reach out. That'd be great. And, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, email. So I'd love to hear from people. Okay, and I can add all those, uh, all that content information in the show notes of the, you know, once once this gets published. That'd be great, and um, you know, when if people, people read the book, uh, they want to give me their thoughts. Love to hear that as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that would be, um, that would that would be fantastic. And uh, you know, just just one more thing, I'd like to ask you. Um, you know, throughout, you know, you mentioned, you know, we had this crazy market going on and this coronavirus. Are there any things from the reporting that you've done so far, things you've learned that might, you know, so, something really interesting that you've learned that, that maybe most people aren't aware of or don't realize right now, you know, something a little less mainstream? Any, um, any interesting insights so far? Well, I mean, I've written like three or four stories, two on the front page of the last week, so it's all a blur to me, frankly. Yeah. But they can go Google them and, and, and look up the stories. Uh, and I hear rumors uh, every hour of stuff, so I, I wouldn't want to pass along stuff I'm not I, sure I, about. I but, got it. Uh, you know, there's always new stuff. Keep, keep, keep in touch. Follow me on Twitter. You'll see the latest. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm sure you have your work cut out for you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go and, and get back to to your work but uh, you know i really appreciate everything that you do and and the great work that you do and uh you know really appreciate you coming on the show sure have a great day hey gregory thanks you too take care bye-bye all right bye thank you for listening to the intelligent investing podcast with eric schlein if you'd like to connect with eric for questions comments feedback ideas or to inquire about being on the show please contact eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com so, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.